the Lord's laid on my heart, the hymn, Victory in Jesus, the theme, Victory in Jesus, the text in the Word of God, Victory in Jesus. Why do we have victory in Jesus? Because as, our, as Peter just told us, <laughs> he's alive. He's alive. There's 4,000 some odd recognized, I'm told, there's 4,000 some odd recognized world religions in, the, in our world. There are innumerable religious leaders and teachers from all over the globe. But that there's only one who resurrected from the dead. Only Jesus was alive before he was born. Only Jesus lived again after he died. Only Jesus lives now in those who were once dead in sin, but are now alive in Christ. Only Jesus gives eternal life after death. Only Jesus. When I think of victory, my background takes me to sporting competition. You've heard me say this before, that for me, if you're going to compete in any kind of a, a game or a sport, you have one goal in mind. Victory. Now, you don't always win, and you have to have a good spirit about it. Still working on that. It doesn't matter if it's a sporting event, if it's a board game at home on the kitchen table, chutes and ladders, dating myself here. Is that still a game? It is, okay. And all the rest of them, checkers, Spoons, whatever you're playing, I want to win if I'm in it. Victory. This world looks at certain sporting characters, and when they are victorious, they are magnified. They're victorious at something that is, I know, it's temporal. But these things mean a lot to people that only think about temporal victories. Athletes compete in various kinds of sports. Coaches coach with a goal in mind. Yes, for every player to give their best, but at the end of the day, they want to be victor, the victor. Like the song says in our hymn book, different winning side, but... They want to be on the winning side. It isn't always attained, but it is the goal. I'd like to show you some people that in our world today are looked at in a very high way because of their victories that they have, they have uh, accomplished. You ever heard of this guy? Phil Jackson. He coached two of the probably the greatest basketball players of all time. They're listed there for you. Eleven times. Now, again, I don't expect you to know everything about what this means, but 11 times at the end of the NBA season, he was the winning coach. If a coach does that one time, it's an accomplishment for their resume. He did it 11 times. 11 times. The last basketball game of the season, he was the coach 
of the winning team. Ever heard of these golfers? You say, I know the guy in the top left-hand corner, but I have no idea who the other guy is. I want you to know that I'm not showing you these pictures because I think these are godly examples of any kind. I'm trying to make a point. For me, sports has made a lot of points in my life that point me back to the Word of God and character. There's something about these people, though, that if we could take the character and put it into the Word of God, there'd be something mighty there. Let's go back to those golfers, please. Both of these men, that's Sam Snead, as you can read there. And of course, we know, most of us know. But again, 82 times at the end of a golf tournament. 82 times. And uh, Tiger Woods has won many major tournaments chasing the, gold, the, the golden bear, the bear, Jack Nicklaus. I don't know if he'll ever catch him, but when they hit that last ball in the cup, which I have a hard time doing, they were the victors 82 times. Let's go to the next one now, please. Oh, here we go. Look at this guy, football coach. One that Brother James, you know, that was his team. I didn't choose because of that, but fittingly. So at the end of the NFL season, this coach, six times his team, won the Super Bowl. Six times. Again, I would say if it happens one time, you're a pretty successful coach. He did it six times. Moving right along. We've got to have a hockey reference, don't we? This is Canada, for Pete's sake. Forget this football and basketball and golf. Let's go to hockey. Look at that, Scotty Bowman. Some of us are from a state in the U.S. where he coached a team and had a lot of wins there. But over his career, according to my sources, at the end of 1,471 hockey games, Scotty Bowman was the winning coach. These individuals know something about victory. Now, according to the Apostle Paul's writing in our text this morning, no sting of death comes when an individual is a born-again Christian. No sting of death comes in our life. This can only be possible due to the fact that Jesus Christ took the sting out of death for the Christian and so this victory is in Jesus. While these people that we just looked at are looked at our world as people that are very important, I submit to you today that unless they come to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, I don't know if Sam Steen is even still alive, but unless they <coughs> come to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, they're going to spend eternity in hell no matter how many hockey wins, no matter how many golf wins, no matter how many football wins. They need to come to the only true living God who defeated death one time, once and for all, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for that. There is no victory in the grave because Jesus Christ will one day empty out all of the graves. He will empty out all of the graves that are occupied by his children. There is no death. There is no sting in death. There is no victory in the grave. Death is the enemy of the unbeliever, however. 
death is the enemy of the unbeliever, or that physical death will lead to a spiritual death for all of eternity. There is fear in death for the unbeliever. Our faith as believers will become sight when we pass from this world into the presence of the Lord. Now this chapter speaks much of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is the writer. And um, some think that the church at Corinth had begun to doubt the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Some time had gone by, and so, you know, when something is not current anymore, it may be a, a challenge in this day. Of course, they didn't have the Word of God like we have, and it's full. And so Paul is writing back to them, and he's letting them know, hey, uh, what, what Brother Dwayne read earlier to us, uh, that, hey, the Lord Jesus was, was seen of uh, hundreds of people, and the Lord Jesus was seen, a scene of me. And I'm writing to let you know that He is alive. And I saw Him with my two eyes. I can attest to that, Paul said. He writes to reassure them that the resurrection is a real event. and That this resurrection can give us victory like no other event can give us. By way of an outline, I'd like to give you several things about this particular text. Number one, the Lord Jesus Christ, what does He give us victory over? Number one, we've mentioned it already, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us victory over the grave. Victory over the grave. There is a preacher of the old school, but he speaks as boldly as ever. He is not popular, though the world is his parish. And he travels every part of the globe and speaks in every language. He visits the poor, he calls upon the rich. He preaches to people of every religion, and they, he preaches to people of no religion. The subject of his sermon is always the same. He is, the eloquent, he is an eloquent preacher, stirring feelings which no other preacher could bring, and bringing tears to eyes that never weep. His arguments none are able to refute, nor is there any heart that has remained unmoved by the force of his appeals. He shatters life with his message. Most people hate him. Everyone fears him. His name? Death. His message speaks in every language. Death. Every tombstone is his pulpit. Every newspaper prints his text. And someday... Every one of you, and myself included, we will be his sermon. Are you ready for death's sermon in your life? Are you ready for that day to come? Because it will come, and it will come for many people. Uh, it will come unexpectedly. I'm so thankful, though, that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us victory over the grave. This entire chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, has given those who believe in Him absolute victory over death. The Lord Jesus entered death, and the Lord Jesus rose again, and the Lord Jesus forever took away the power of death. I read a story about a little boy who crawled up into the arms of his mama a, sun, a sunny afternoon, they were embracing one another and something happened. The little boy began to get scared and the mother said, what's wrong? And he said, 
there's a bee over there. I don't like bumblebees. She said, son, in this case, you don't have to be afraid of this bee because he already stung me. I have the stinger right here. He won't be able to sting you. The Lord Jesus Christ took the sting of death for you and for me. One time, buried and risen again, victorious over all of it. Death is no fear to us who are believers, but if you're not saved today, I'm not trying to scare you, but it is the greatest fear known to mankind. Death. It's not easy to talk about. I mean, who wants to go to Starbucks today and go get, order a cup of coffee with a friend and sit down and say at the, at, the, at the table there, okay, you know what? Let's start our conversation and let's talk about death with a smile on your face. That just doesn't happen, does it? Let, let, let's, let's, let's get, I'm not trying to be morbid, but just point, make it a point. Let's, let's open the newspaper up and let's read the obituaries. That seems like a great conversation starter. It's not what we do. We, we usually go to the weather, right? Boy, it's a nice day outside, or da 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 but we don't say, boy, you know, I, mean, I might die today. What about you? That's not how we normally lead off our conversation. But we know that death is coming to every one of us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9, please. Hebrews chapter 9. We'll have to move quickly here. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 God's Word says, and you've heard it referred to numerous times, but it's always good to know the address. It's always good to know the address for these verses. Maybe jot them down. Hebrews 9.27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was, what's the next word? Once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him, he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. It's appointed unto men once to die. But as we go back to our text in 1 Corinthians 15, we are so thankful to read in verses 55 and 56 that, uh, O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Uh, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. He has forever pulled the stinger out of death for you and me. Yes, death brings grieving. For Christians, we still grieve when someone passes away. That's perfectly normal, and it happens. But it's different, it's different than mourning than the sting of it. The sting of it will never happen. Because we know, I was watching a little bit of a service this morning where my parents go to church, and Brother Sexton opened the meeting, and he was very burdened because of family. And in recent days, in the church there, lost a 16-year-old daughter. I don't know what happened. 16 years old. Her whole life is in front of her, 16. Now she's, she's gone, but as he said in that opening uh, this morning in the service, he said, but we know where she is. Why do we know where she is? Because there's no sting in death for the believer. We know that to be absent from the body as a believer is to be present with the Lord. Do you have that assurance today? It can only be found in the, in the victory that Jesus can provide. Death is coming, but it does not need to be feared I'm so thankful that death for the believer is the doorway. Death is the doorway into the presence of God. Now, we can go into the presence of God in prayer. 
Thank you. Thank the Lord we can do that today. But all oh, to leave the presence of this body, which is so frail and fragile and prone to wander and prone to sin and prone to fear and prone to bitterness and all these things and to be out of this body and to be present with the Lord, no more sin, uh, no more bitterness, no more any of that, and to be in His presence forever. So death is the doorway of hope. Death is the doorway into the eternal presence of God. Let's turn over to uh, verse uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What does, what does Jesus Christ give us victory over? He gives us victory over the grave. Over the grave. We might say death as well alongside that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 1, the Bible says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We have a building of God that no construction worker built. It's made by the Word of God. It's eternal. The place you're living in and I'm living in right now are not eternal. I'm saying our body as well as our abode where we live. For in this we groan. That's kind of what I was saying earlier. In this body we groan. Oh man, I, I can't believe I just yielded to that temptation again. I can't believe I, I'm doubting God and I'm guilty of that in my life. I can't believe I don't have enough faith to believe that God can do exceeding abundantly above all that I could ask or think. And so Paul said there's a groaning in this body. But he says, we are earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. This is a wonderful house, isn't it? This is a spotless house. This is a sinless house. There's no rent. Amen. There's no mortgage payment. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. And we're looking for this house. It is in heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan. There it is again. Two times. He's reminding us about the groaning. How about another? Look at the other word there he uses. Burdened. Burdened. So it signifies a load. A heaviness. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, which also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Death is a doorway out of this groaning, burdened body into the everlasting presence, the eternal presence of Almighty God into a house not made by hands, reserved in heaven. Reserved in heaven. I haven't, I haven't made reservations for anything in a while. I forgot about that. You know, sometimes if you're going somewhere and it's a busy time, you've got to make reservations, maybe at a restaurant or wherever. Hey, right now, as a, as a believer, as a born-again believer, as a child of God, here's the good news. Reservations have already been made. Everything's already settled. Everything's already taken care of. That's the victory that we have, not in our works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He's given us victory over the grave. 
If, however, you're joining us today, whether here or online, and you are not saved, you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I will tell you under the authority of the Scriptures that you have good reason to fear death. Because death is not a doorway for you to heaven. Death is a doorway that leads to eternal damnation in hell. That you'll never be able to be free from. You might have a suit and tie on today, but you know down deep that you're not saved. Maybe that testimony that we gave the other night that said that my parents told me I was saved. That was evangelist Caleb Garraway, by the way, that for many years his parents told him he was saved, but finally as a, young, oh, uh, a teenager, I think, he finally said, you know what, I can't base this on my parents telling me I'm saved. He got it settled. Victory over the grave. Secondly, he gives us victory over deception. Over, decep over deception. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. Satan is not only a liar, but he is the father of all lies. The Bible tells us in John 8 and 44 that there is no truth in him at all. By the way, in and of ourselves, we are no match for his lies. In and of ourselves, we are easily deceived into believing his lies. Even as someone who's indwelt by the Spirit of God, I need to continually immerse myself in the Word of God. Because the Word of God is truth. The Word of God is peace. Word of God is joy. Word of God reveals sinfulness in my life, and I, I'm thankful that I can be victorious. That the Satan would say, oh, this way will be better for you. And in the Word of God, it says, no, don't go that way. Go this other way. And we re we're, re we're shown that by the Spirit in us and by the Word of God. It is sin that demands judgment, Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what sin demands. It demands judgment. It is sin that stands between me and the Lord. Turn to Isaiah 59, please. Isaiah in chapter 59. Thank the Lord that He gives us victory over deception. Oh, the world today is so deceived by the enemy, but thankfully we have truth. We have truth that must be delivered to bring them from deception to the truth, to, to a new life in Christ, to victory. Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, then it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you, that He will not hear. Oh, my friend, a believer, you can't, you can't continue to live a sinful life and expect to go to God and say, God, I need your wisdom on this decision. If you're living something in some way, a sinful life, disobedient to the Word of God, and, and, and just continuing in that and not willing to repent of that, the Bible here says that we are deceived in thinking that God is going to bless my life when I'm going completely contrary to His Word. 
Again, I know this is a message mostly for people that are lost, but I'm challenged when I read that verse that I consider the way I'm living and the way I'm walking. Is it in, uh, is it in line with the Scriptures? Is it in line with the will of God for my life? I need God to hear my prayers. How about you? I need God to hear my cries. How about you? I need God to hear uh, my praise. How about you? I need God to hear uh, the interceding on your behalf and the behalf of others. We're not just praying for ourselves. We're praying for many people that have great needs. We need to have that direct access to God. It is sin, though, that stands between us and the Lord. It is sin that blinds us to the way of righteousness, holiness, and a fulfilled life. Go with me to the second book of Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians. I might say to you this morning that Jesus Christ did not give me victory over death to live in sin. Jesus Christ did not give me victory over, over death to live how I want to live. No, Jesus Christ saved me and Jesus Christ saved you that we might live according to His perfect plan, that we might follow His perfect will. And yes, He knows we're going to make mistakes. Yes, He knows we're going to fall. Yes, He knows we're going to skin our knee and our elbow. But He picks us up and He bounds us in wound, in His, in his, in his uh, bounds our wounds and, he, and, he, and we seek forgiveness from Him and He gives us that forgiveness and we can continue to move forward for His glory. Oh, may we not be deceived in thinking that we can live a certain way and just continue on this way and yet still have the hand of God on our life. doesn't mean we're going to lose our salvation. We're secure in Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that no man can pluck us out of the hand of the Father. Look what it says, though, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, In whom the God of this world... Verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In reference to the unbeliever. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. But, but here's the good news. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves. We don't preach Baptist this and Baptist that. I mean, praise the Lord for Baptist distinctives. They're, they're wonderful, but we don't preach that. What do we preach? Christ Jesus, Paul said. Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for His sake, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, notice, hath shined in our hearts. If you're saved today, God has already shined His glorious uh, light that can never be quenched. It's already been shined into your heart, into your heart, into my heart. Why? So that we can just sit on the sidelines and say that we have the light of God? No, so we can take it into this dark world in which we live and shine it for others. That their eyes might be open to the truth. That they might experience the victory in Jesus. They are blinded, but we have the light. It is sin working in our bodies that propels us to live a wretched life. It is sin that will use us up, wear us out, and leave us empty. Did you hear that? It is sin that will use us up, wear us out, and leave us empty. Let 
Romans 6.11. The Bible says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. We are dead unto sin. We are dead unto the things I used to do. I don't do them anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. I'm dead to that. Why? Because I am now alive. He said in the second half of that verse, but alive. In other words, reckon yourself alive. Put it in your mind from the heart to the mind that I'm alive in Jesus Christ. I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why am I a Christian today? It's not because I'm a good man. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Victory in Jesus. Deception is taken away when we come to the cross. Deception is taken away when we come to the empty tomb. Death is taken away when we come to the empty tomb. The sting is no longer there. He gives us victory over death, victory over deception. And number three, oh, as we touched on this earlier, but we emphasize it now in our last and final point, he gives us victory over the lake of fire. The lake of fire, listen carefully now. The lake of fire. Go with me to Luke 16. Luke 16. The Bible speaks of death being the sentence. We read it earlier. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. It's not merely dying and going to that cemetery, going into that mausoleum. It is not simply going and having a funeral service. And, you know, I'm not trying to make fun, but, you know, some would say rest in peace. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But I can tell you right now, no one's resting in peace that hasn't come to Christ. I'm not saying it's wrong to say that. I'm just saying that I read it many times and. And I hope and pray they are resting in peace. The Prince of Peace. Amen? There's no peace in someone's life. Eternal, eternal existence. No peace. Every person who leaves this world leaves spend eternity in one of two places. Lord Jesus gives us a depiction of it, and you've read it many times. If you haven't, read it, read it regularly because it will stir your heart. He speaks of a rich man, and he speaks of Lazarus. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 16 and verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. It's a picture here of even today in our world in which we live that many times, I'm not saying every time, but many times those that have everything this world can offer don't think they need anything from God. I'm using this only as an illustration. I do not know this man personally, but over on Government Street in Burnaby, Michael Buble has a property over there like none other. It's two city lots long. It is literally a fortress. If you've ever been by it, you would spot it pretty quick. 
a gate, security cameras. I have no idea what's behind the double, the double wall that is there and the value of it in the world's economy. I mean, we looked at people that are famous and have millions of dollars, and I don't, I don't know any of these people's spiritual condition. I hope and pray they're saved, but it says here that a rich man fared sumptuously every day. To fare sumptuously every day means there was no concern about what they were going to have that day in any way, shape, or form. Now, as a believer, guess what? We can live the same way. Not necessarily sumptuously, but we know God supplies all of our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So, you know what? Uh, I don't know Mr. Buble, but I know that's a valuable property. It would be a shame to live in that house and to take your last breath and spend the rest of your eternal existence because we are an eternal being. Some religions will say that when we die, it's over. No, that's not what the Bible says. We read it earlier. After this, the judgment. It's either going to be a judgment for sin or a judgment for works. Which one are you going to? Let me just tell you, you don't want to go to the judgment for sin. You want to have your sins judged on the cross of Calvary that we'll talk about tonight. Why did Jesus Christ have to die? You want to come to Christ and kneel before Him now before He makes those without Him kneel before Him someday and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, I want to be the judgment of my works. Meaning my sins are already judged at the cross and the precious blood that flowed down is at the right hand or at the mercy seat atoning for my sins even now. I'm thinking about these famous people and famous people here in Burnaby and other famous people. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything unkind about them. I'm just trying to say they remind me of Luke 16, 19. They have it all. And there was a certain beggar. So now we go, we go from faring sumptuously every day to a beggar. Wow, what a contrast. This beggar was named Lazarus. It says he was laid at his gate full of sores. You got two S words there. You got one that lived sumptuously, and then you got one that lived with sores. Talk about an antithesis of an of a earthly existence. That is one right there. Completely polar opposite lives. This is a great warning for us to remember that all that we think we need isn't necessarily all that we need. The Bible says that in desiring to be fed with the crumbs, that's not a sumptuous dinner which fell from the rich man's table. So he's just hoping to clean up after the rich man's sumptuous dinner. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Wow. Isn't the picture painted well here? Of course, the Lord is speaking. Of course, it's going to be perfectly painted. And Jesus is speaking and he's saying something. We read the Bible, we want to understand what is God saying? 
You read this and you can read it tomorrow and God will say something else. He'll even say more. You'll read it 10 years from now and you think, man, I never saw that. What is God saying? Build your life on the Bible. And it came to pass that the beggar died. The beggar died. And notice, we emphasized this some time ago. I think it was on a recording from, I don't know, one of the hotels. Spoke on hell. But notice, the beggar died and was carried. Mark those words, carried, was carried. Notice who he was carried by. He was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. I mean, one, one day he's down on the floor. Dogs are licking his sores. He's just looking for a bite to eat. And it's just to survive. And the next day, all of a sudden, he's being carried by angels. He's being, being carried by angels into the presence of God. So he was carried. The Bible says in verse number 22, the rich man also died. Notice a different word for him. He was buried. He was buried. One day, he was sitting at the kitchen table having the finest food that his money could buy. Cloth napkins. I don't like those things. Uh, cloth napkins. Fine china. You know, just give me a... I don't, it doesn't matter what kind of plate it is. I just need the food. But I mean, he had it all, and the table was decked out, and I mean, wow, nothing wrong with having that fancy, uh, fancy meal. Nothing wrong with it, but... Every day, this is what he had. And man, he must have thought, what a life. And the next day, because it's always the next day, death doesn't come with an invitation, does it? Now, Mr. Richman, I want you to know my name is Death. I will be here tomorrow. It doesn't happen. Unlike the beggars, Lazarus, this, Lazarus, this man was... Buried. Both of these men died. They both died. One had the sting removed. One did not. They both died. One was carried into the presence of the Lord. One was buried. No one wants to think about dying and going to hell, but it is a reality to those that have never come and sought victory through Jesus Christ. It is not something that I would want to happen to my worst enemy. I mean that. I don't know who that is, really, to be honest with you, but if I have one, I wouldn't want him to go to hell. I wouldn't want that to happen to my neighbor. As we've heard, moving possibly by a couple of Pastor Nathan's family, our family, and I, I echo his sentiment of our neighbors. We've had the same neighbors for 10 years. Have we shown them Christ? They will die and spend eternity somewhere and they will have lived next to, and I'm not saying anything about me, please don't think this. They will have lived next to a Bible preacher. 
I can't save them. I, don't, I know I don't have that. But has my witness been loud enough? Loving enough? I don't think it has been. I don't think it has been. There's always more we can do. And we have the reality that the rich man will die. And by the way, the poor man will also die and many of them will just be buried. Because it's not about having money or not having money. It's about having victory in Jesus. There's nothing standing between you this morning and, your, and the deliverance of your sins but your belief. Acts 16, 31. Seeing Paul is there and Silas is there and the prison bars have shaken and all the prisoners have stayed put. The prisoner is about to kill himself and Paul says, do thyself no harm, we are all here. The prison guard comes in and I mean, he's just, he's never seen anything or heard of anything like this in his life. Why are you still here? And the singing and the preaching and the testifying and they're sitting there and the, and, and the man says to them, as you know, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16 and 31. Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved in thy house. And that night, the prisoner, the, the jailer, he got saved. He washed the stripes of their back. What a beautiful picture. He washed the stripes of their back that he had probably inflicted or had inflicted because the salvation, the victory in Jesus changes us from the inside out. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. God's Word says, and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Victory. Victory over death. Victory over deception. Victory over lake of fire.